Welcome to Voices. My name is Ian Hunter, and I talk to people. Today I'm speaking to Michael Graber, founding and managing partner of Epic Pivot, an insights, innovation, and strategy studio. Michael's also a musician, a father, a deep thinker, and a hippie in the truest sense. Join us as we talk about conscious company leadership, why innovation has become a lazy word, and how plant medicine just might be the key to a better future. Stick around. Why did you change the name from uh, Southern Growth to Epic Pivot? <laughs> okay, it's going to be a long answer. Um, Aside from the branding. Yeah, so originally when we started, it, and branding didn't have anything to do with it, it really was a sense of purpose and a sense of mission. So when we started, it was 15 years ago. It was the height of the recession. I had just been on several different committees, including the rise of the creative class and some different knowledge workers pieces. And the chamber came out with uh, America's distribution center as, um, as our tagline. And mm-hmm. at the same time, we were looking at what we call the old miss index. The old miss index shows where college graduates move to. In the 70s, 80s, the majority of them moved to Memphis to start their careers. But now they were moving to cities like Atlanta, Nashville, the Twin Cities, San Francisco, Chicago. And we were starting to hemorrhage knowledge workers here. And Mm -hmm. so all of a sudden I had this thought, what a gross and nightmaric vision are they trying to sell us? We are essentially becoming the third world of North America, the un air conditioned armpit to the world, right? If we're going to be just a bunch of warehouses, there's going to be no jobs for my children or grandchildren here. And we're going to put ourselves into some kind of, uh, deep impoverishment, even deeper impoverishment than we already are by putting all these white collar jobs away. Mm-hmm. So my goal with the Southern growth studio was an answer. I was going to go to every privately held company in Memphis, Tennessee, Arkansas, and Mississippi and say, look, we can take this mix of innovation and management consulting, and we can help you double, triple the growth, the size of your business, and you can compete with much larger companies. You can hold on to your talent. Right. So that was the original premise of the Southern Growth Studio. It was economic development via entrepreneurialism and being that booster to companies that were headquartered here. Um, mm-hmm. What happened was that we launched in November of 2007, and that was right at the Great Recession. Right, the mortgage meltdown happened right that month. Right. And so we were going knocking on doors and we were being thrown out of every business. No one wanted to talk about growth. They wanted to talk <laughs> about preservation. We ended up calling our blog Crazy Talk because we were thrown out for Crazy Talk. Um, and we had to do something we swore we would never do in our original business plan to stay alive. And that Mm -hmm. was, we had to go work for fortune 1000 companies out of market. So the Southern growth studio evolved into a very effective innovation strategy and insights consultancy that did work 
mostly for Fortune 1000 companies outside of the Memphis region. You know, I never thought I would be that guy with airline status and traveling <laughs> 200 days. But we called it the Beatles strategy, which means we had to go to Hamburg to get famous in Liverpool. The same thing. We had to go out of market and start working with all these companies with logos and no names before anybody would take a chance on us locally. Okay. And so then... We, you know, very su successful enough, still in business, you know, grown. It's, it's been a marvelous adventure. Um, but then the pandemic hit and I had just turned 50 and I had kind of an existential crisis. And I was just thinking, I've made these companies millions of dollars. Yeah. So what? The earth isn't any better. I mean, we still have the climate holocaust, if you want to call it that, the climate crisis. We still have a what I'll call a crisis in truth and meaning, you know, uh, we still have all of these humanitarian crises. And I saw that the, the world was really in a precarious place. And for all the good work that they do, nonprofits and government systems haven't fixed anything. We still have poisoned waterways. We still have bad food systems. We still have lack of access to health care. And so, I started thinking, well, what if the private sector could play a role in healing? What if we could get businesses to take responsibility? So let me give you an example. I know this is a long answer to your question, but it's, it's um, That's great. What if Coca-Cola changed their philosophy, meaning their philosophy wasn't just shareholder capitalism, profit only at any cost, and they changed their philosophy to almost a, a broader sense. And they took responsibility for putting, what do they sell? Two billion drinks a day, two billion plastic bottles. And now we have island sized plastic islands that are growing new forms of human bacteria on them. What if they invested in a recycling mm -hmm. uh, uh, stream? Because our recycling streams are broken and even China and Malaysia won't take our, our recycling. And so then I got to this study of the roots of capitalism and how broken it is. And I'll give you an example. If you, if you look at the MBA template and how we think about business and profit at any cost, Darwin is always quoted, right? It's the survival of the fittest. Do you know in Origin of Species that Darwin mentioned survival of the fittest four times, but mentioned love more than 400? Similarly, we quote, Adam Smith, Wealth of Nations, which, you know, is all about profit. Mm -hmm. He wrote another book called The Theory of Moral Sentiments, which was about how business was supposed to take care of people in their community. That's been summarily ignored. And just the way that we think about every facet of business, human resources, you as a cog in a machine that's replaceable mm -hmm. as a, as a subject, you know, as a one dimensional subject, probably even an object and not human fully dimensional. It's just broken. So we needed to reframe business and business itself needed an epic pivot. So hence the name. You have a book out going electric. That's right. Tales of innovation from where rock and roll was born. That's right. That's a really cool title. Thank you. So I just want a, a quote from that corporate America. You are losing your best people. These people are Mired in old ways of thinking, the problem is not them. They want what all people require, intellectual stimulation, autonomy, and entrepreneurial incentives. 
this word that you mentioned, innovation, seems to be your your mantra of tirade. What's your goal? Is your goal to reinstate it to its rightful purpose, or do we need to abolish it? The word innovation. Yes. Yeah, it's been hijacked by by uh, little hobgoblins and and used and misused <laughs> in so many ways. Like every word, right? Even love is means meaningless on a Hallmark card, but in the right setting, it means everything, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know if we can throw away words. It's my hope to redeem them. I use the word innovation less these days and use human centered and value creation a lot more. It's my theory that the old way of doing business, right, which was business to consumer or business to business, as we call it, where they would make, you know, an object of you're a buying unit has gone by the wayside and we're, we're entering the emerging era of the human era and companies and organizations that treat their employees as humans, that treat their suppliers as humans, that treat their admin staff as human, treat their people who buy from them as humans are thriving. And the companies that aren't are getting all kinds of pressure. That's why you saw the vicissitudes of the great resignation. These old line companies are hemorrhaging their best people because they're going to these oases of companies that know how to treat people as fully three-dimensional psychological beings. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's really the fact of rehumanizing business and at root and innovation are what they called human centered design practices. So that's, that is almost the catalyst for doing it is using these methods to rehumanize. Yeah. I think about profits and, uh, and purpose. A lot of these companies, the heads of these companies today, they all started the same. They started young and hungry, right? Mm -hmm. They wanted to connect people, especially with the uh, social media. And they could not have foreseen really what it would become. So it almost seems like a, uh, a paradox, if you will. You can consciously want to bake that into the mix, as it were. But you, especially if you're developing a new technology like the Internet or social media, um, how could they have known, you know? And that's Yeah, what's wrong that's with a our tough thing? There's something weird with our species. Because if you go back and you look at the advent of any breakthrough technology, radio, television, the Internet, social mm -hmm. media you only heard about the promise and the beneficial when television first came out they claimed that it was just going to be used for edifying educational purposes right look what happened similarly if you go back to the the roots of the internet and the electronic uh, frontier foundation frontier foundation and others it was all about a tool for democratizing humanity but we are more confused and these forces have been used to divide and conquer us even more. Again, I mentioned this crisis of truth and meaning that we're in that is because of all the weird silos in social media. We, we No one can agree on an objective reality anymore. How can we do anything meaningful without getting real, getting quiet, turning off all that stimulus, and then thinking about what are the real issues that we need to address as a species? Is that a Western thing, though? Um, That's popular. If you take those inventions back even further to, like, the wheel or fire, mm -hmm. um, well, I guess the wheel, well, arguably was was a Western civilization thing. Um, fire, obviously. The of it. Yeah, yeah. Fire was obviously much older than that, but uh, it was, I guess, technically it is a technology, right, uh, that we 
harnessed it. Um, but I just think in terms of modern businesses, is there hope, you know, is it just, is just calling them out as, as not being conscious or innovative or innovating? Is this all hopeless or can we, can we really do this? You know? <laughs> so let me, let me give you some examples. Um, there are companies that have been on purpose for a while, and there is a great book that I recommend to almost everyone. It was about a 12-year longitudinal study called The Firms of Endearment of mm -hmm. companies that uh, have their whole operating system revolving around a purpose, and many have what that's known as a triple bottom line, meaning people, planets, and profit. And their board looks at books on all three bottom lines, not just profit but how they infect people and how they affect the planet. And they take it very seriously. The most interesting thing, most interesting point of conversion for people who think that's just a woke business, let's put it that way, is that those companies outperform their profit-only competitors 8x to 13x yeah. a year. So you take a Patagonia, who's one of those companies, versus a Columbia which makes a lot less than Patagonia. Yeah. You take a Ben and Jerry's versus a Haagen-Dazs, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, keep going. But the proof is in the pudding. Those companies outperform. They keep their most talented people much longer and they're much happier. Yeah. The places where they do business are glad they're there. They're not fouling up our waterways and yeah. food systems. Yeah, I was listening to a rabbi actually talk about business and uh how there's this general assumption that Jews are disproportionately good with money due to genetics or bloodlines or something. And he made a really good point that it was not due to that. It was more due to uh, cultural and systemic, um, basically observing of the golden rule, you know, within business to not cheat someone, to treat people well. And that has caused them to be one of the things that caused them to flourish. And, um, and there's actually a pivot there. So yeah. in the uh, late Middle Ages, just before the Renaissance, when we had the rise of the middle class and the merchant class, mm -hmm. uh, there was still the concept of usury. And usury, you know what that is? Yeah, roughly. So usury is that you cannot make money off debt. So the credit card companies, mortgage companies would be out of business. By loaning you money, I can only get what you loaned me and not back. And because it was not genteel, it was not Christian to handle money. So Jews in the Middle Ages got put in the position of being merchants because mm -hmm. it was unchristianly behavior. So they were forced into that position. Into the banking industry. Yeah, into, at, the, at the roots of the banking industry. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that there's something to be said about cultural or religious tenets, things that are baked in to prevent you from. Yeah. Because like you said uh, mm -hmm. just a moment ago, it's they're kind of inbuilt fail-safes. Right. Not that we're not going to scale as a company or we're going to make money or profits, but this is who we are, this That's group right. of people. This is what we stand for. Even if we're innovating and creating new technologies that we can't possibly foresee. Yep. Social media, again, I bring that up because it was meant to connect people and whatnot, and they could not have foreseen the, the vitriol and the political strife and infighting and everything that it's become, the effects on dopamine and, and neurology um, that we're basically having to combat now. 
Right. But you brought up such a critical point. I don't want to lose it. That is what is the moral obligation of business? And especially in the deep context, uh, you mentioned almost a ethical or religious uh, virtue that would. That, but if we live in a culture that is, quote, more spiritual than religious and more than 60 percent of Americans and even more in Europe no longer are affiliated with an organized religion which isn't good, isn't bad. We're living into new systems. You know, the, it, that is what it is. But if that is our world today, then where do we find truth and meaning? And what is the role of organizations? What is the role of capitalism in a world without religious ethics? Mm-hmm. You know, so it brings up more questions than answers, but they need to be discussed. And each organization needs to have its own answer if they're going to be conscious yeah, I think that's the word, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Conscious. Yeah, there's a, a second book that you worked on um, or contributed to called The Other Side of Growth and Innovators' Responsibilities in an Emerging World. Just another quote from that, the imperative of purpose alongside that of profit as a motivating force in the future of business. And uh, how can innovators and the systems they build and use deal with these tensions and have influence over the outcome the outcome like we just discussed i don't think anybody knows that they could just do the best they can does that take care of itself including the outcome if you just do the right thing from the beginning if that's baked in uh well again consciousness is always progressive and as you're coming up with new things which is the nature of innovation you're going to have to come up with new guardrails new the old the old doing the right thing, thinking isn't going to fit the new thing. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to be very aware and conscious in that rubric as well. Um, It's fast, but if a company knows itself, so I'll just give you an example again from Ben and Jerry's, you know, if, if it's set up in their operating system that they want to have value other than monetary value, then we stand a chance. So let me give you an example. If you, if you are a supplier to Ben and Jerry's, you have to have a good quality product at a good quality price, what any supplier would have, but you also have to have a demonstrated and measurable social good. So from all their suppliers, you have to meet both those metrics. It's baked into the system that it's going to work. So Grayston Bakeries out of Long Island, mm-hmm. um, they provide all of the brownies and all the cookie dough for Ben and Jerry's, right? It's now about $400 million a year worth of brownies and cookie dough. But they don't consider themselves a bakery. They consider themselves a life turnaround place. They only hire recovering drug addicts, ex-convicts, ex-felons, and they teach them life skills, credit restoration, health, trauma, trauma assistance. And their goal is to impact as many lives that have been traumatized by our draconian system and reframe them as possible. And that's their social good. So imagine the social impact of Ben and Jerry's doing it. That's one of about 200 suppliers. So in their whole system, if each one has to provide a social good and report on that as well as reporting on the product, yeah, what kind of connotation, what kind of ripple effect of goodwill? And not only that, and then it gets into driving consumer preference, driving all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And then just a, a last quote from that. Uh, it is not enough to be sustainable and green or have 
a corporate responsibility program if your products are causing harm themselves. Um, but yeah, I guess that's just all tied together, isn't it? Yeah, there's a lot of greenwashing. I mean, just look at what yeah. happened with Sprite this week. Um, they came right. out with a big announcement that they are not going to have green bottles anymore because green bottles are hard to recycle. They're moving to clear bottles. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just greenwashing. All of our recycling systems are broken. We don't really recycle in the U.S. anymore. I think 7% of all plastics that is recyclable in the U.S. gets recycled. And if they're not investing in recycling streams and they're just changing the color of their bottle and they're still yeah. pumping 2 billion bottles a day, that's into the world. That's ridiculous. Yeah. That's Have you why been to a landfill lately? It's not lately. I do think we need better technologies to eliminate waste. Uh, I don't know what that is, but maybe, maybe some kind of a burning technology that that cleanses it before it's sent into something else i don't know i think we can do better than just burying shit in the ground and <laughs> yeah for our waste uh we have too many people and create too much waste but even if coke stepped up and did that thing that you proposed uh, i guess that'd be sending a major message since they're such a large company but uh would it really affect the recycling situation since it's uh, kind of fallen off, you know, if they invested in recycling streams and figured out a way to make it work for the U S then the mm-hmm. rest of the world would follow suit. Yeah. I, that's why okay. I say only business, only the private sector can help us with our wicked problems, right? Now. They have the scale, they have the resources. They just don't yet have the will. I think these leaders need to chill out and just uh, partake in something of the plant world. If you follow me, I hear you. Would that be a healing Do you feel there's a reckoning that nature is trying to uh, tell us or uh, translate to us? Um, Is this why plant medicines and things like psychedelics and whatnot are becoming more, I won't say trendy, but just more in in the public conscious? Oh, Uh, it's totally trendy with Michael Pollan having the number two show on Netflix with uh, How to Change Your Mind right now based on that great book. Biohacking, neurohacking, and all this rerouting of the brain. Uh, What we're calling the fourth wave of psychedelics, how it's all in clinical trials and even something like MDMA, ecstasy, right, as it's known on the as on the street drug, under clinical protocols, it can de-traumatize PTSD from rape or war scenes or something with 72% efficacy. 72%. Our best drugs otherwise have about a 4% yeah. efficacy. But there's not a business model that can sustain it because you need a trauma therapist, you need a doctor, you need two therapists, and you need to integrate all the Who can make money doing that, right? So the question is, is maybe the system where we have to make money for healing broken. But but to get to your point, I do think that there is a resurgence in these plant medicines and they've come to us at the right time. I know many business leaders who are becoming conscious because of plant medicines yeah. and um, they're grateful for them. They're not using them as performance enhancement drugs. They're using them as ways to get into more advanced problem solving and then it ends up by ingesting and digesting some of the earth, some of the fungi, they start thinking with that, what you call a guy in mind, the, the yeah. world mind, right? Yeah. And then they start start thinking about the ramifications. The great output is that unlike Coca-Cola, there really are no what 
economists call externalities, right? Which would be the plastic, which is on the consumer, not on us, the creator, right? That's a weird psychological fiction, right? That's, but that, that causes real harm. And they start to take key phrase. They start to take responsibility for their outputs in the world and their externalities becoming conscious. And they mm-hmm. see that these businesses can become healing forces in the communities where they work for the people who work there as well as um, the planet itself. Yeah, I guess the externalities could also be pushed on the people who use social media and, and cell phones. Like, we made this stuff, but you don't have to you know, use it as much, or it's your fault or your responsibility to put it down and keep a balance. But Even though it's highly addictive. Yes. And, and we don't even understand what it is to a brain. Yeah, they, we don't, and it's really scary. Just the Internet, it, it's so new. We really, or, or Wi-Fi signals, we don't know. We've only been dealing with this for like 25 years now, so we don't have any long-term effect on the body or, or our, our neurology or our minds. Um, hopefully it's all safe, And but I think next time around, 2.0, with this stuff, um, we'll have better understanding in our companies, which will, in theory, use this same technology and technologies of the future, virtual reality and things like that. Based in the internet, we'll have uh, had round one, so we'll be a bit more conscious the next time. But I'm wondering also, do the plants, the people who are uh, partaking in this, and it's 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 getting them on page internally with with how things really are, is that sort of a, a free hall pass to uh, to be conscious and to start conscious companies, um, or will they still have to do the same amount of work? Uh, if that makes sense, if you're connected to nature and the way things should be, the fact that we're all connected, um, then are you just going to by default start a company that's just doing the right thing? Uh, well, that's a great question. And it gets back to the original point of our conversation. Plant medicine will force an individual to have a hard earned philosophy of life and then will help them discern their individual purpose. So if they're going to meet that purpose and live out that philosophy at scale, they're going to have to start some kind of organization that does it. Mm -hmm. So the answer is yes. Beautiful. You're a musician. Yeah. That's my joy. That's what, that's my poker night, so to speak. Right. Has that lent to you? Do you think that's lent to the world uh, of what you do as far as, uh, you know, consulting and dealing with companies and that world, uh, music in some way oh in every way um, um I, not I, to bring the uh, the no. old uh, music as a symphony you know cliche into it no but. i mean i could go go on forever here and actually write a book on this subject but i'll just give it a few riffs well the first would be everything i learned about having a small business i learned having punk and metal bands in high school you know we had to brand it we had to be part of that brand. We had to go out and promote it. We had to go to record stores and radio stations. We had to go build up a street team and put out posters. We had to sell merchandise and price the stuff. You know, there were so many lessons inherent in that struggle that, that could, that, that are, uh, the roots of entrepreneurialism. And then in terms of leadership and management, you don't get better than Duke Ellington, the great, jazz composer where to a person all of his great players from lester young ben webster i could keep going all of them 
They all claim they never played so well as when they played with Duke, even when they had their own bands, because he saw something in them that they didn't see themselves. Like a great manager, like a great leader, he would challenge and inspire and provoke them, and he respected it enough to talk truth to them, but never belittle them. You know, that's a lesson for great leadership. Yeah. And then I've also learned how to read a room, you know, as a consultant, I'm going into large rooms of with mixed agendas from with, with high powered people, yeah. vice presidents, presidents, directors, CEOs, etc. And I can go in pretty quickly, just like being on stage and seeing, okay, I need to bring these folks together. I need to do something here yeah. that's going to change the energy of the room, it's which the- I've only learned from music, right? Not from in business it's the deadhead in you right it's something in me yeah yeah Yeah, i i love the idea of consultation i think that no matter how big a business you are i guess this parallels with the the plant medicine situation you mentioned just when we were talking downstairs about there's a peripheral that you don't see normally that are it's kind of opened up to you that's right um and you, you see this obviously with athletes, you know, the, the top tier athletes, mm-hmm. they still need a coach. They need somebody who sees what they do not see. So I think companies and individuals who, who are open to that, that's saying something about their maturity and their, their, their humility uh, and openness to learn because they can learn always, even if they're the best, right? Right. Every top performer, whether it's music, athletics or business, has a a growth mindset. They don't believe in failure. They're always learning from quote mistakes, but they are always rapidly curious and they all have coaches, consultants, advisors in their corner who are helping them see beyond where their eyes can see and listen beyond where their ears can hear. They want to know. They want to, and those that don't, I would be real wary of, you know, that they, they, People that think they have all the answers are really the most dangerous people on the planet. Yeah. The profits thing and the purpose thing. Um, I'm glad that you, yeah. yeah, I've always encountered that sort of set in stone definition that companies are in business to make profit. And that's Um, just something from the industrial revolution. So if I can just just interject here, because I'm very passionate about it. Ultimately, it's a question of, how we define value that we're creating. And if we're creating value only by money and currency and not value in the lives that we impact, the other species we impact, the how we impact the habitat around us, how we impact all these other things, then how we measure value is just broken, right? And you can even think about the way that America, which, you know, our gods are money and time, right? Um, Think about that for a minute, but Mm -hmm. that's where we willing to kill or die for usually. Um, And we look at GDP. Other countries like Bhutan, they have a national happy and happiness index, right? They're measuring differently. They're valuing something more than money. So here, a, a corrective would be to value money, but then to value all the other yeah wake around money. Right. I mean, there's that saying, America does the best, makes the best, always does the right thing, unfortunately, at the last last moment. Is that just a part of our culture? Or is that why it's so hard to do that? Because we are we were built on that. I've never heard that, and I don't believe it. 
<laughs> you know, of that quote about America doing the right thing? Yeah. When? I mean, when? I, think, when uh, I forget which. I think the quote was uh, attributed to how we um, retooled our factories at the drop of a hat to make tanks instead of cars and whatnot for the Second World War. Uh, um, but, yeah, just a level of Western or specifically American culture. I can see how it's hard for us to. To not just be kumbaya, you know, with our companies and our startups and our philosophies. Uh, ironically, we're all these things were started here. Most of them, you know, Apple, yep, um, Facebook, Twitter, all this stuff. Uh, it's just finding that equilibrium, and I think we can do it, man. Um, we just need to. We need guys like you, well, organizations yeah. like you. <laughs> I, 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 the cynical side of me just thinks, oh my god, you know, there's a yeah. great book by John Perkins. Uh, John Perkins was the chief economist at Bechtel, and he worked with government-sponsored entities and became what's known as an economic hitman. And so he goes country by country of how we've gone and systemically ruined countries, started civil wars, murdered people. It starts out, it starts out with Kermit Roosevelt, who was Roosevelt's mm -hmm. grandson, when we uh, ousted Mosaddegh in Iran. Um, because he wanted to privatize the oil and we put the shawl in the place because he was Western friendly. Yeah. Right? And Probably. before that, you know, Tehran was the Paris of the Middle East. It was a completely different culture and we completely ruined it. And then you look at what's happened after 70 years of that. But then you also look at Cambodia, Laos, Panama. Mm -hmm. I could go country by country. But what he says, which is the point I'm trying to make is that We've taken a lot of those tactics of economic hitmen and done something we've never done before, which is to put them on our own populace, to impoverish our own people, to cut out the middle class, to cut out the levers of wealth creation for the middle class. And he says it's unprecedented. So I don't know if I believe your premise. We're not doing the right thing with the wealth divide as it is right now. Right. We're not doing the, I, I could keep going. Yeah. We should be. It's a great call to action. It's a nice mantra, but it sounds like vapid lip service. At this Absolutely. Point. Yeah. I would agree with you. Um, the right thing. I mean, I mean, people even make that fun is, of that. Even Spike Lee. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's become <laughs> in the, in the Vulgate, if you will. Right just, yeah. Just because nobody actually does and nobody cares. Because yeah. our gods are money and time. They're not. What are our real values? And once you get over that delusion that we're pre-programmed with, that's what plant medicine will help with. That's what consciousness helps with. Yeah. There are many ways to become conscious outside of plant medicine. Right. Um, I don't know, man. Humans are. Funny monkeys, aren't we? We are. With clothes, yeah. they say. That's because we don't have fur. <laughs> if, you know, if we're. But if we are, I mean, ultimately, just right. A part of nature. If it's in us to uh, somewhere deep inside, we know that. How could we have even strayed in the first place? I guess that's a different discussion, but it's just uh, something about the human psyche and I don't know culture yeah. and and uh, how how the pieces fell. If, if we are all one, um, how could we have ever strayed from that? There are cultures on the planet indigenous cultures and whatnot that are still living the way really they are the advanced ones um you know that they don't have technology and advancements as we define them but they're living about as in harmony as we were as uh, 
as an ancient species. Uh, right. We were just talking about destination retreats in Central and South America that people are paying what between four yeah. and twelve thousand for to get a taste Something of that. Something in lifestyle. them wants that. Yeah. yeah. It's a uh, for a weekend. <laughs> you know, it's ridiculous. That yeah. We, uh, There's a yearning uh, there. Yeah. It, we are very odd. And in the book, Sapiens, a wonderful study about our species, mm-hmm. it claims that we will never be as satisfied as a species and will always have longing as we were when we were hunting and gathering on the savannah. That nothing gave us the thrills and the complete engrossing satisfaction of being in that microculture in harmony with nature. And because of that, we've become an addicted consumerist society trying to fill up these empty spaces of longing and adventure with drugs alcohol music fashion fast food i could keep going (laughs) yeah it's like when we first splintered off from the continent and then the pieces fell where they fell you know some of us did better than others but there is and the better i would argue is the indigenous (laughs) the people who stayed behind you know and most people get real comfortable filling those holes and uncomfortable going inside those holes but there's that you have to look at the poets and mystics to get to the heart of this and uh, william blake the great mystic poet from england said there's a moment of silence that Satan cannot enter. And that moment of silence is in that hole. And I'm just going to say Satan mythologically here is Mm -hmm. the noise of culture and the noise of all these addictions, right? But you have to be comfortable with yourself and mature enough, again, conscious to sit with that longing without having to fill it with something, or you're just going to cause damage on the planet. You're a dangerous person. Yeah. Because you're acting unconsciously, right? Some people say that the unexamined life is worth living. I don't agree. Yeah, we have a responsibility being modern people. But And my favorite psychologist says that conversation is consciousness. James Hillman, he was a young in. Yeah. Uh, but, and so I appreciate you hosting this conversation because this is where we start, one-on-one, getting real exploring topics yeah so thank you for your work in the world thank you my friend for being uh so much more than just a company consultant uh you're multifaceted and i hope to jam with you in a park hitting a drum sometime while you play some strings man yep we will will do it cool thank you ian thank you it's been a pleasure all right bye-bye